You're listening to Green Possible, where being free makes being green possible. I'm your host I, and the show starts in. Hey, well, welcome. Hi, I. Nice to meet you, and glad to、uh, get on your podcast. I'm honored by the opportunity to talk with you, and I've listened to some of your shows already, and I think you've got a great、uh, start going here. Well, I am just someone who is always curious, and I like to learn、uh, how people are, the way they are, and why they do what they do. And、um, the way I found you was、um, on、uh, Jeff Peterson's Telegram channel, and、um, actually really loved the tutorial you did for us to set up.、Uh, SSH SS, and that was so fun. I I had a horrifying experience before with Linux <laughs> because I you know it's actually now that I am better with English, even though I spoke well back then. I mean Linux was really hard for me because I when I read the you know how you do men in the name of the app. And I don't understand. I can't. I understand words, but I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> so it was. It was great when I saw your video and followed it and actually made it happen. Make my make sure that my server is secure. I was so happy. So、uh, thank you. And I remember you were doing that on your Raspberry Pi. Which what does it do? Does it survey surveil or does it? Was it just a gate opener? I don't remember. So that Raspberry Pi is just a little Linux computer, and I had it set up to just have a little network access to my front gate and camera, and it was operating as a, a Wi-Fi camera. And so that way, in addition to being a camera, it's also a little computer, so it could operate my gate, and basically just with a Raspberry Pi, you can do anything a computer can do, and So one of the things I like to do is make my own net cams because the ones you buy on Amazon or whatever are linked up to the internet and they send all your data to who knows where. So by building your own Raspberry Pi camera, that's one of the most popular things you can do with a Pi. And so、If、that's what I'm doing. You can find it nowadays. <laughs> yes, they are popular and in short supply for sure. So, so did you because it's outside? Did you have to do make the enclosure yourself or? I bought an enclosure. You can get them online.、Um, you can either make them or get them online. It's nice to have a metal one on the gate down there. I used a plastic one that seems to be holding up just fine. I did a little weatherproofing to it, but the Raspberry Pi handled the weather extremes, the heat and the cold, just fine. So that was a pretty good project that I had going down there at my front gate. Yeah, I remember the days when people play. You know. It- How the computer was put together in the old days. I don't know how old you are, but I'm old enough to have gone through that. You know where people are just buying parts and whatever you put together. Most likely, nobody else has the same configuration. So it's kind of like Linux. You you have to put in time to make it work well for you. Right, so, right. The convenient way is to let someone else take care of it, and that's sort of the whole problem with our culture: is convenience always leads to someone else in charge of your life. And so that's sort sort of how I got involved with the Linux side of things and helping、uh, Jeff Peterson. He、uh, he had a, he has a great channel for teaching people how to、uh, get into Linux, and so I helped admin there for a while. And eventually, I I was also in, involved in the food and the farming and other cultural. Things that I, I considered pretty important, and he actually helped me get started on my food channel, and I ended up devoting most of my time to that. But I do want to expand out into a variety of other topics that all have to do with self responsibility. So just like just like Windows controls your life if you let it, and you you can take the inconvenient path and learn Linux and take control. There's that same concept of taking self responsibility for your life applies to other areas. It's it's It, ha- it happens in health, in food. I'd like to see it happen in trade, where we reduce dependency on、uh, worldwide currencies that are illegitimate and dishonest. I'd like to see it in education, where we where we have、uh, 
apprenticeship model type of homeschools instead of these centralized power structures where the centralized uh, authority controls what the population learns. I mean, that's a horrible conflict of interest. And then technology, of course, we have learning Linux and open source software. That's important. And media, we have to learn how to, you know, curate our own source of news. And, and we can't just trust something to be the news. You know, as I grew up, CNN was the news. And uh, eventually we <laughs> yeah. find out that they're a bunch of pack of liars, you know. You know, when they first started, I was kind of like, why do I want to watch the same news over and over again every day? Like the whole day, just the same news. It yeah, is so it, ridiculous. yeah, it doesn't matter which which channel you go to. It's just they're just regurgitating the same thing for sure. Oh, wait a minute. I just realized that they are probably brainwashing us, <laughs> even <laughs> though I haven't watched it for a long time. That that makes sense. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, for sure, because they they affect your view of reality. So if they paint something as real and they sort of infer it's the truth without coming out and saying it, and then they show you lots of people who also agree it's the truth, then as social creatures, it's our our psychological tendency to accept as true whatever we perceive our peers to believe to be true. And so that way, if you watch like just a sitcom on TV, for example, and they accept something as truth without ever coming out and saying it, then, and we grow up in that environment, all those truths add up to make the culture that we live in. And so it's, it's a subtle form of mind control and it's cultural engineering. It's been going on forever. Long before the digital age came about, they did it through newspapers. And before that, they did it through the town heralds. It's always been a form of information control to control anyone who's basically too lazy to get their own information or to find the truth for themselves, which is unfortunately Actually, the high percentage of humanity. I have a silly example, uh, <laughs> which what you just said reminded me of. Um, so as a female in, um, especially in Asian, Asian, from Asian cultures, the fairy tale is, is horrible. It, you know, how, the there's always a, a female that's needing help and and you meet someone uh like a, a prince or someone well off and to rescue you and you'll be happy and that has destroyed lots of lots of little girls heart <laughs> yes exactly and it doesn't it doesn't help the boys out much either <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah, you you think you're going to go rescue someone and it just doesn't turn out happily ever after. It doesn't do it. It doesn't work for the boys either. Just so you, you know. know. I never heard this from the male side of point of view. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Trying to save people that don't need to be saved is, is a bad idea for sure. Definitely. <laughs> oh yeah. Interesting. Um, so I, so were you always a farmer or how did you get, how did you get here? Well, the way I became a farmer is through um, a long, long train of failures. And so uh, my primary uh, focus right now is is food, self-responsible food production. And, and a lot of it has to do with the, the things that I do. And as people start out and they, they run into the brick wall of realizing that they've never done this before and that they're going to make a lot of mistakes, that's how I did it. I didn't I didn't have a, any special talent. I didn't have, I wasn't taught by a special person. I just did it through massive amounts of failure. And so I show on my channel and on my videos, some of my successes, but what you don't see is that every one of those successes was built on hundreds of failures. I have all over my farm and property, you know, uh, scars and relics of past failures that I learned from. And eventually I got to the point where I can, I'm start to starting to be functional in producing food. I still buy food at the grocery store, but I'm getting to the point where a significant percentage of what I eat is produced right here. And as people start to realize they can do that, it's it's been part of our you know culture for millennia to produce our own food. And only in the past hundred years have we got away from that. And so as people start to do it, they're gonna they're gonna find difficulty and failure. And you're not gonna make a, a huge dent in your food bill the first season because the first season is gonna be learning and many seasons thereafter you'll still be learning but as people 
learn by failure, they'll get to the point where they can be functional. And we're, we're already getting people who are growing food for the first time. And as luck would have it, they had some great successes. I've seen some great melons and some great corn and tomatoes and potatoes and all kinds of food that people are producing. And just imagine with the technology and education resources we have at our, our disposal in this day and age, that our ability to produce our own food is going to increase greatly. And I've seen statistics that since this COVID thing started in the past two years, there's been like 20 million extra new first-time gardeners starting out. And so I think that's great. And I think as even if things calm down and go back to normal, we, we can never forget. We can never go back to letting other people feed us. We can never depend on the supply chain that can be cut off at will by retarded people in Washington. And, you know, we, we see these people as stupid, but it's really intentional. They're, they're doing it on purpose. And so we need to take that power out of their hands and put it in our hands so that um, no matter how hard, it, how hard it is, we can't say, well, if it's easy enough, I'll do it, then, then you're going to fail because you're going to run into hard things sooner or later. But if you, yeah, go ahead. I'm all about finding the easy way, but so I have uh, black thumbs, as you know, (laughs) but uh, when I joined your channel, I, I was reminded I can grow small things. Um, in, in my place, there's very little sun. So and where I am is not warm most of the year. Um, so what I did was I, for, I tried micro green and, and, you know, you know, people know how expensive micro green is to get it from the store and it's not cheap. And when I, you know, and so I went online and found out that, oh, so basically, you know, in one of the video you share, it's like explaining that you just need to need a growing medium. I think you probably need to have a growing medium. Otherwise, the seed will be soaked in the water and have no place to grab onto, I guess. And then... um you know, all I have to do, I did, I bought a kit just to learn how it works. And all I had to do is fill the tray with water, put the uh, growing medium on, on another rack that, you know, so it's not soaking the water and I put seeds on it and it grew. <laughs> and yeah. I ate them. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's a great way to learn because the, the microgreens are expensive, but I, I produce a 1020 tray, including buying soil for less than $2 a tray. And then once I start recycling soil, which is mostly what I do now is I've, I've got it composted and recycled. So it's about a buck 50, a tray for a, a, a 10 by 20 inch tray. And I juice three of those every day, me and my family here. Yeah. And so if you're, you're, if you're the only consumer it, with that in your household, it, you know, I actually grew all of my microgreens with water. Yeah, um, and, and so that up. that works. There's a lot of, every seed is a little different. Some do really well with just water. Some do well with other types of growth media. I just use about three quarter inches of topsoil or n- normal gardening soil. That just works for me. Um, I have, I live on a farm, so it's easy to, you know, dump the soil in a compost pile and even in the apartment, I could I could just have a little soil container and uh, use a little composter out on my balcony. But uh, some people do it just fine with like cocoa coir, growth media, or just water. Or like for example, mung beans is sort of a basically a oh, micro. Yeah, you don't need anything. Yeah, and and so people people do that without soil, and they just uh, keep the light off of it so so that it doesn't become bitter, you know. Yeah, I tried that. I haven't found um so one of the hard thing with that is it's hard to find good mung beans that's grew. It's uh, grown in the states. Took me a long time and I found one, but it's not the quality is not what I like cuz you know, Asian people eat lots of mung beans and these are like when you soak them in water you'll see that they have, they're broken. Oh, not, I see. 
yeah so i i haven't found one that you know so now i'm just just using up the rest of them uh for dessert soup <laughs> yeah and so uh, sourcing your microgreen seeds is important i've started to grow some of my own this is the first year we grew some of our own field peas to to maturity and i'm gonna i did corn although that's not a microgreen that's more for chicken feed but I'm going to, I'm going to do wheat, peas, and sunflower. And we did sunflower this year too. And so I, I just harvested all those and it's not enough to supply me with all my needs, but it was a great test. So we had a good success with some of growing our own seeds and you, you kind of need a field for that. So were you always, I mean, obviously you, you know, what did you do before you start your farm? Well, before um, I was a started my farm, I actually spent a lot of time on an environmental project here in North Idaho. There's something called wetland banking where you do wetland replacement. So when someone, a, a construction company or a road department destroys wetland, they have to replace it somewhere else. And so I did this huge project where we created new wetland in advance and it was in conjunction with the Corps of Engineers. And so it was, it was you know, environmentalism now, if you say environmentalism, you think of rich people trying to own the world right because it, it's it's uses a football for getting money and controlling the world but actual environmentalism where where none of us want to live in a dystopian destroyed environment Whoa. you know i i worked in actually creating wetlands and so wetlands it's not like co2 or you know nitrogen or whatever you know all the, the nonsense they put out there if you if you're a duck and you're flying you need a wet place to land. It's just that simple. If anyone's ever gone duck hunting, where do they go? They go to the wetlands. That's that's. It's like a nucleus of life. It's real. It's all there. It's all measurable. And so, yeah, I, I did a lot of work in environmental uh, restoration. And before that, as a truck driver, I drove a fuel tanker all over Western Washington for about 15 years. Um, I used to fill up uh, military bases and the, the ferries and gas stations. And I and before that, I'd long hauled for a little while over the, the Western states, which I hated. But I even drove log truck for a while. Wow. And so how did, how, where did you start with Linux then? You... It was a long time ago, back when it was difficult. See, nowadays there's, you've got channels like Jeff Peterson's channel where you can get on and get some great help. But back when I started, one, I didn't have any friends who were doing it and I didn't know where to get the information. I didn't know how to search for it. And so my journey was really long and slow and sort of torturous. So people have it easy nowadays. But the, what was behind it is I, I knew that the operating systems were controlled and just like a lot of people knew. And so it was always a this sort of back burner project to escape. And slowly over the years, I finally did escape. And you know that that Linux journey is is only one aspect of the total journey of freeing ourselves from the people who consider us their chattel. You know. Yeah, and and I have to say that we're lucky to come later <laughs> with Linux because before that, you know, I've seen Linux when it was first put out by I think Red Hat. And yeah, Red Hat had a version. Yeah. Yeah, and and I was like, what the heck is this? I don't understand. It's too painful. And 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 I was telling you how reading the the text uh, help was no help to me because I don't know. I don't. I understand. still have that problem. I still read. I still read the the documentation of projects, and I read it, and I reread it, and I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it might be better to read it in Chinese. No, I'm kidding. Um, but the yeah, so it was hard, and there was no. I think someone in Jeff's channel was saying that there was some desktop environment. But at the time, if you are on Linux, you just assume you live in the command line world. So yeah, that, and that was before my time. It, uh, as long as I've been in Linux, there's always been a desktop version. But before mm -hmm. before that, there was you know back back in the old Unix days, all computers were just a command line. That's how they used to all be at one time. But that was when I was a kid, and I wasn't really into computers back then. Yeah, I saw my computer science friend. I mean, they are like God to me. <laughs> <laughs> he took me 
he took me to their lab and he and we were in a project together. He took me to his lab and he remote connected into the lab that we were working on and I so I could stay with him while he works on something else. And I was like, Oh my god, how the heck did you do that? And it was all by command line. There's no pretty stuff. Yep, that's that's how it goes. It's like magic until you know how, and then it's like, oh, well, that's not magic. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's still magical to me every day when I try something, and and it's so easy. Um, so it it's, hmm. I I was saying that how lucky we are because now it's so, you don't have to use command line except maybe sometimes you copy and paste from from a, a instruction script or something you know yep I, I still do that all the time if i see something if i'm installing something heck i mean if i'm just installing brave i i go to the website for the installation and i copy paste the commands to install brave i mean that's just the easiest way to you do know, it. it that actually works better because i was trying the the snap version and the flat pack version and i i wanted to install a GNU tool that would show me if my vpn is connected or not, or what the IP address is right now. And it wouldn't work because uh, someone explained to me that, oh, because they're, they're sandboxed. And I'm like, oh my God, now it makes sense. And, and, you know, within a year, I'm learning all these stuff, even though I think I probably should have known because I have tech background. Um, but I left it a long time ago, and so I'm I'm only better at the, you know, that I'm not afraid to try things on computer because I know I won't be able to destroy it unless I really, really, really try. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and with Linux, I I try and keep my Linux computers in such a state that at any time, if the whole computer gets wiped. I can just reinstall the operating system and all my data is already backed up somewhere else. And so, I mean, that's just good practice. If you've got something stored on one hard drive, it's only a matter of time before you lose it. So with, right. with if you take control just a little bit so you can control your operating system and control how your stuff is backed up to a local drive or even a like an online Nextcloud server or something. Oh, yeah. So I... Um... A while back, you posted on your uh, Telegram channel about rebuilding our culture. And would you talk about how you came to that conclusion and what is it all about? Well, I guess through life, you know, there's all these conspiracy theories that start adding up. And as you start putting them together and putting together the puzzle pieces, each one of us has our own viewpoint, but I just started to come to the conclusion that we were a farmed people, that there were some kind of overlords that considered us their, their cattle, so to speak. And in, in one hand, they took care of us, but they also owned us. And that if we want to be free and, and own ourselves, not only do we have to find out how to escape the system we're in, but we're going to have to learn how to take care of all the things that our would-be owners are taking care of because they they provide us with sort of a food infrastructure. They provide us with technology. They provide us with communications and, and manufacturing and um, education and trade and all this, all this stuff that they do, but they do it to their own benefit as them, you know, with themselves as a beneficiary and we're more like the workhorse. And if and we for, were to, you know, agree, we have to, to do it. So, and for people who are, who might not, who have heard, who just heard what you said and not making connection, um, I, when you said that, what I, what came to mind is the, you know, the phrase company store. Right. Yes, exactly. For the company and you, they take all the money back because they're charging you food and lodging and whatever you buy because you live, I think it was from coal mine, maybe? Yeah, it was coal mining or any industry where that was remotely located, where the company would control the workers, the store, their access to goods. And because they controlled everything, um, 
they made sure that everyone had to pay all their money back into the system just to survive. And so now we have entire countries that run that way. They, basically, it's like a closed economy where the whole economy is such that you you make barely enough to eat and uh, a place to sleep. And it's basically slavery, you know. And so that's part of the problem with our worldwide commerce is that even though slavery is illegal in our country, it's perfectly acceptable in other parts of the country. And that's where we buy all our stuff from, you know. But don't you think that um, that Americans are being enslaved as well? I mean, yes, we are for for sure. But they, there's a lot of degrees of severity. I think America is one of the one of the freer models, and it's because of our culture that makes us harder to enslave. So you know, a, in order to make someone a complete slave, you have to edit their culture completely. And there are some certain things in America that make it hard to enslave us. Like for the, you know, the second amendment, they've been trying to get rid of that one forever. But when I was a, a little kid, they decided to make America go over to the, uh, the metric system. And they just, I don't know, made policy changes and says, yeah, we're going to, we're going to get rid of inches and miles and we're going to go to the metric system. And that's just how it's going to be. And the Americans ignored them. <laughs> and despite <laughs> the fact that the metric I system makes more that. sense, okay. you know, the, the metric system makes more sense, but no one cared. They, they just decided to do what they're going to do because of our culture. And so some cultures are more resistant to tyranny than others. And culture is actually the root of power. And that's why if you look at the amount of effort spent on editing our culture, I think they spend more effort on that than everything else combined. Because, you know, uh, you know, jackbooted armies can control crowds of people, but if you want to control billions of people, you need to own the culture. And that's, that's, you know, the only broad brush you can paint with if you want to rule the whole society. So what do you think is the most significant method they use to edit our culture? Well, obviously the TV, Hollywood, schools, uh, colleges, you know, you take, uh, college students. And if, uh, you know, for me, when I remember myself at that age, at that age, I considered myself an adult, but many years later, I consider that my intellect of that time was childlike. And, and so you, you have people in their fifties and sixties, when you look back at your 20 year old self, you're going to consider yourself a child. And so if they can edit the culture of college campuses and edit the culture of children growing up watching TV and, it, it's all these aspects of culture that make sort of a cloud of information that we grow up inside of. And we learn our culture by the actions and reactions of those around us, even if even if things are not spoken directly to us. But it's it's the perception of going along with the herd. So if you watch a movie or you're in a school where everyone believes a certain thing, or, you know, sitcoms show certain things as being acceptable, you're naturally going to accept it as true, even though you, you don't need facts to, to see that. In the past couple of years, we've seen that, you know, it's sort of like a test, right? It's like, all right, who can, who can think for themselves and who's going to do what everyone else does regardless of the logic? And so we see that it seems kind of like a 50-50 split almost to me, you know, not sure, but it's what it seems like. Yeah, and and it's and I don't know if it's because in Asia it seems much much harder to break out of it, and I don't know it's because most Asian country or the larger ones came from you know imperial system. Am I am yeah. using your word right? Because you you're You've always, I mean, it's almost in our DNA now that that you listen to the emperor or you die. <laughs> and I, you know, took me, it, it's weird to me that you do that with your president. You think your, your president is God, you know, it's the emperor. You listen to your president. Um, yeah, so um, deifying any leader is a huge mistake. If if a president sort of represents everyone's views and is going in the right direction, support is fine. But I mean, deifying and worshiping anybody is a mistake. It's a, 
even if you just so happen to deify and worship a good person, that's that behavior is going to get you into trouble as soon as that good person's gone. And then you, you go on to deify the next bad person. That's, it's not really different than having a king or a, or an emperor, you know? And do you think it's, it's, hmm, do you think the culture, culture editing has done that to people? Well, yeah, for sure. The cultural editing and the cultural engineering that's gone on has always sought to uh, ensconce a a certain authority, whether it's government or uh, an emperor or, you know, if we have this sort of semi-elected government where the people sort of choose, but it's also sort of made for them. Or we have, you know, in the case of like news media, with the news media alone, you could control the vote. And so if if you, as long as you have power over someone, you can use that power to further uh, solidify your power in their belief structure. And that's been going on for a long time, definitely and anywhere in the world, you know, personal, my personal experience is America, but anywhere in the world, it's, it's been going on for a long time. And that, but, you know, the, the free spirit has been fighting also. And so Throughout the years, you also you see these clues and books and movies that do make it out, that do sort of point to the truth, that that sort of give you that still small voice whispering something's not right here, you know. And a lot of people over the years have heard it, and so it's like you see people fighting back. And when you talk about things like this, it resonates with a lot of people, and you see you see it happening. You know, against all odds, you see people going against. Um, the mighty power of the machine that's been influencing our lives for hundreds or maybe thousands of years. So can you, so for people who aren't able to pick up that clue, do you have a theory of why they can't while others are able to see it? That's a hard question. I guess the best thing I can come up with is I think earth is a, a sort of forge of souls and we're here to learn the hard lessons that can only be learned through hard personal experiences. I don't know, you know, what's behind it all. Obviously, you know, I don't think any much, I don't think much happens here by accident. I think it's, right. it's a, it's definitely a forge of souls where um, the, the experiences we go through on earth build our soul to, to become something stronger. And, you know, you, you can, Every religion ha- describes that with a different metaphor. Even science, you know, I consider most scientists to be sort of religious because they they believe in theories rather than yeah, you know, considering. And... If you if you consider a, a theory a theory, you're a scientist. If you believe in it, now you're now you're practicing a religion, which is totally fine. I, I you know I believe in freedom of religion, but um, yeah. Well, so... nowadays the science is not. It, it's almost like if if like. Like what you said, if most if most people think is true, then then you're not allowed to question it. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. I don't know if you know about uh, Gerald. I think Gerald Pollock. He he does water research. I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah, and you know he he was he's really bothered by that. To a point that he started his own lab just <laughs> so he could do the research he really wanted to do. You know, yeah. Not... So for sure that what what is accepted as science in the mainstream circles, we've come, especially in these past two years, we've come to realize it's not science at all. You know, the word science just means knowledge. And if you can if you can create the perception that the science you're doing is real science and you know what 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 is actually real is you know a conspiracy theory then that puts you in a a position of power and so that gets pushed quite a bit these days yeah it you know science it's it's hmm, to like how do i say that i kind of think of science it, you know if science is how it should be to me it's more like it's a practice of asking question and searching for answer not to just tell people this is the answer because we are we are more capable than we ever allow us to to yes i agree and and even right now in any time of history i think we're more 
more capable, we have access to more education if we're looking for it. And at the same time, if we're not looking for it, we're exposed to more misinformation. So um, these are these are dire times for sure. And it's it's kind of like a, a division of souls to see which way everybody goes. And and I was wondering how you would think of it, because you seem to be a very logical person to me. So would you do you agree that the way to discern if something is fact or not, it requires not only uh, maybe intellectual research and all that, but don't you think it requires instinct and gut feeling? Well, certainly instinct and gut feeling are going to guide people. Um, and everyone's instinct and gut, fe- gut feeling is going to be different. So I don't know how well that advice would apply to different people, but for sure, uh, we're all on a on a journey here, and I think people end up uh, doing things in their life that are not chance. Just put it that way. I think there's they're sort of planned in a way, you know, not to the point of being destiny, but to the point of of um, it's sort of like a, a storyline with certain choices you have throughout the storyline to proceed through your life. Yeah, and and what I. Um you know, throughout the, the lockdown, you, you know, everybody's home and listening to all kinds of stuff. And I tend to be the one that listened to, uh, metaphysical or, um, self-improvement kind of thing. And one thing that was interesting to me is that, you know, instinct and gut feeling, sometimes you can't tell. I mean, when you may, when so if we were to consider making a decision you check yourself and see what is the emotion behind it if you're just acting out of fear or aggression something something not positive then you might want to reconsider the information you have and the action you're about to take and that's yeah I, I agree with that completely because you know we as humans tend to compare our intellect with ants and cows and we marvel at our own intelligence but I, I think in the greater scheme of things our intelligence is basically you know we're I think we're all fresh out of the jungle we're barely we're barely smart enough to you know not not destroy ourselves I think in, in an uncertain with an uncertain future and and not having the intellect to you know play you know, 12 D chess with our life. I think attitude and the emotions that we harbor, or, you know, some people might call it faith. I call it optimism. Uh, the emotions and the attitude that you foster and grow in your, in yourself is going to be much more significant and powerful than your logical intellect for sure. Yeah. Because that's what, that's, that is what is the, that I, I think that is the core of character. Yes. You, yes, for sure. Yeah, you can you can think your way into a strong character. <laughs> yeah, and so you you have you have it you know throughout the ages it's been taught to us in with many different uh, styles and metaphors. Every every religion uh, talks about it, and people who have achieved success in their life they've gone from a state of poverty to a state of success, and they talk about how they did it. You know, attitude plays a huge role and religions usually use the term faith. And um, so there's something there that's very powerful and it's definitely more powerful than intellect. We try to measure our mind by IQ. And I think that's like, that's like measuring. um, I don't know. I think IQ is a poor measure of a human. Would you rather have a, a smart friend who's evil or a dumb friend who loves you and is going to take care of you? You know, (laughs) good, good example. I like it. Yeah, and and it's it's. I think people are forgetting um, the, you know, being an an immigrant, and when I was going through a hard time, and it's not, it's actually internal hard time, not that I was, you know, having trouble uh, getting food or shelter. I, you know, the thing that popped up was the American spirit, you know, how the, how the pioneers are, 
and the word that really stuck with me is grit. Oh yeah, grit, fortitude. Yes. Yeah, that that those two words, you know, when when you are having trouble with emotion or mental issue, those two words, I I just keep saying that to myself. It's like I'm American now. I have that. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and you know, it, it's hard experiences that give you that grit and that fortitude. That doesn't that that's not something you're born with, or at least um, I wasn't. And it's it's hard personal experiences, and you know, in some cases, nearly dying that that give you the the lessons that give you actual grit and fortitude for sure. Yeah, and and I think that's what we need to to rebuild our culture. I think people are forgetting that's in the DNA of all American uh, born here or not. Yes. And so certain people come here for that. Yeah. And so there is this sort of concept that everyone in America will have heard, and that is freedom or death. Give me freedom or give me death. And so if you're afraid of death and you would rather live in bondage than die, then all all is need all that's needed to control you and own you someone just needs to threaten your life all they do is say hey do what we want or we're going to kill you or starve you to death that's it you're in control now so if and if you're somebody who says no i'm not going to be controlled and i'm going to try and and i'm going to be working on my freedom or i'm going to die trying then that culture is not going to be controllable very easily at all it's going to be very hard to control so we all need to have that idea that you know of course we want to survive but but we're going to, with our every last ounce of life, we're going to be striving for our own freedom and we're going to die trying if we have to. And that's just the way it's going to be. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, it reminds me of examples like usually um, you, there's only a few bullies in school and many kids are being bullied. And exactly. You know, when I watched it on TV or, or movie, I'm like, wait a minute, there's only three of them and there's a hundred of you guys. You know, if you all came out and, and you know, I bet they'd be scared if you surrounded them, <laughs> even though, you know, you're you're usually handing over your lunch money. Yes, exactly. And in, in, in today's sort of battleground, there are bullies and we are at war, but I think the the battleground of this war is really our culture. That's where the war will be won or lost is in our culture. If if the culture does not allow for a dictator to be in control, no one's going to accept it. The dictator is there's nothing they can do because people will are going to be free or, or or die trying to be free. But if people are willing to be scared in order to save themselves from whatever they're afraid of, then that culture is not going to be free. Well, and and I I propose that if even if you're scared, you can do a little thing, make little changes. Oh, for sure, rebellion comes in many forms. For sure, <laughs> right? And and I I tend to be the peaceful. <laughs> I can't imagine putting the the word rebellion on myself, but well, yeah, I, and 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 I know what you mean. So throughout history, rebellion often meant like armed insurrection, and honestly, I don't think that's where we're headed. I don't think that's the solution. I don't think that would work. You know, armed insurrections have had mixed results in the past, and what's happening now is, let's say, some we were able to force the perfect government in place over ourselves. Now we've got the perfect government. What happens now? Well, the same thing that happened before. Everyone votes it out and and we go back to the state of corruption because the culture was not there to support it. So um, I don't think any anything resembling an arm, armed insurrection is a solution all, at all. The, the types of rebellion that I consider true acts of bravery and things that are going to work are growing your own food, taking advantage, taking you know control of your own health and your own uh, your own uh, education and your own, you know, taking, taking responsibility for your own technology and doing things for yourself so that you do not require the masters of the farm to take care of you. And so once you don't need them anymore, you, that at that point you become free and there's, they can't scare you with their supply chain cutoffs or their food cutoffs or their toilet paper shortages or their energy 
you know, energy expenses. Um, and if you've, if you're controlling your own education, the children of the future, whoever educates our, our children owns the future. So, um, that much power, we can, we can do it. We, we have it within our grasp to reach out and take control of the destiny of humanity, because that's what the education of children is. And it's right there in our hands. All we have to do is reach out and take it. I, I don't, I don't, suggest that it's going to be simple or easy, but certainly we can do it for sure. Yeah. And for example, that, that I just heard something about uh, Microsoft is forcing people to have computer that, you know, like you have to have a camera and speaker and you have to leave it on uncovered for you to be able to use their operating system. And yeah, so that's that's right out of George Orwell for sure. I'm sure uh, Linux users won't be bothered by that at all. Right. So, and then other than the fact, because I tend to be very practical. So other than the fact that you, you know, if you you think okay, they they want to control this, I'm okay with it. But then, what if your old computer died and you have to get a new one, and you you found out that you have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to get something so high high level to meet their requirement instead of being able to buy something cheap. Yep. And, so self-responsibility you know, sets you free for sure. Right. And so if nothing else, if you don't care about any of the whatever conspiracy theories, you, don't you care about your financial life? you know, and if you can do something with it, like I had a, a, a Chromebook and it was running not very heavily. And it was only, uh, it's from a, a tw 2018. So it's not that old. And, and when I found out that I could do Linux on it, I just did it because I, I'm so happy to sacrifice it. <laughs> that that machine just so I can learn and it was it, at first it was hard because Chromebook is it's there's something there you have to you know uh re reprogram hardware and um so it was hard at first but once I got it to I put Linux Linux Mint on it and it was fine. I, I even switched two distros. I had Zorin. Um, I had Pop, Pop OS. And they, they, they work. I mean, now I'm on Zorin. And it, it's running very well. It's the, the, um, it used to die. The screen used to just stay black when I came out of sleep. <laughs> and I'm kind of like, oh, Linux, Linux works. I can put my machine in suspense, suspense <laughs> and it still works. And, and, you know, it's, it, people just try it. You know, that's my suggestion. If you have an old computer hiding somewhere in your closet, get it out. You know, if the battery doesn't work, you know, plug it in and, and see, you know, it should come up. And yeah. And once it. you've done it a, a few times, it's really easy. You, you go to someone's house and they're like, oh, I want to try Linux. And, and well, here's my computer. What do I need to do? And I said, well, show me the computer you're not using. And so we go out in their yard in their garage and they and they got a computer and I said, OK, this is the, this is good. We'll do this. We'll just put Linux on here and I just plug it in and install it and, it, and they're good to go. And so um, once you've done it a few times, it really is that easy. I know. And then you mentioned earlier that to back up your your um, information and I have to say that it's I was so impressed I had to upgrade uh, distro and one in one of my big machine I I was using pop OS and it wasn't very something was odd about it so I had to switch it to I, I decided to switch to the new newest Ubuntu and all I had to do was copy the the home drive and once i installed a new one and i installed the software i wanted and i just copy that whole thing back and it works like old machine 
It's yeah, so like everything everything is there with you. Yeah, for sure. That's cool. It, it, I was so impressed how easy it was. <laughs> and you didn't need Bill Gates at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had a chance. I remember doing a college paper on on the company and I had some insider <laughs> talking to me and I knew, I mean, it was horrible working there. That's what they told me. Yeah, so, I have had I've had IT jobs that I quit uh -huh. because of the climate like that for sure. Yeah, so I was like, I knew like people were like, oh, you know, Microsoft Microsoft will hire you. I'm like, I don't want to work for them. <laughs> 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 but you know, so I don't know. I it, it in any case, there's something you can do. Like I have no. I, I found out why I'm a black thumb because I have no, I have the personality that I have to do something different after a while. Oh yeah. I failed a lot that way by, you know, I watch how everyone else does it. Do, everyone else tries doing something and then I say, okay, well, I know a better way. And then I, I of course fail. And so some of my greatest <laughs> successes come from uh, before I invent anything on my own. First, I just copy someone who's already right. doing it. That works. Right. And then, sure, you can make some changes, but but start off with copying someone who's doing it, you know, doing something functional before you go off on your own. Otherwise, I just make a mess. Yeah, and and the point is to try something. Yeah, yeah, just do something and, and fail. This is a great time to fail because you're not starving yet, right? So right. get out there and fail a lot right now because later on when you're starving, uh, Failing might mean you starve to death. So get your failing well, done now. <laughs> I have to say that I, I, the, my main problem, other than being scared of bugs and dirt, <laughs> is that when I, I, you know, after a while, I, I don't want to take care of them anymore. So microgreen is perfect because, because it's just low enough for me to eat them. <laughs> I can take. Yeah, and so. I, I did a carrot plantation once where I planted some carrots and I set up a grow box and I put automatic sprinklers over. I planted the seeds. I turned the automatic sprinklers on and it misted them like once a day or once every morning. And that's all I did. I forgot about it until fall. And then I harvested all the carrots. So it is possible. You can do it. <laughs> so plants are smart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes, sometimes you, it really can be that easy. Other times you've got pests and things and gophers eating your carrots. Yeah, I, it's my, not always I that tried, easy. The thing I did is, you know, since I'm such a horrible gardener, I, this is what I do. And I tried a few things and the best thing was to buy the green onion in the store where, you know, they have some roots left and <laughs> just wash them up and stick it in water, cut off the part where, I, you know, cut off some to use and then leave the rest in the water and it'll grow new ones. <laughs> I can yeah. And I've seen people do that. You can actually get seeds that way. You can get lettuce and different no things way. that will start, start sprouting and let it grow through the season and collect seeds at the end. So that's, I've no seen people way. on my channel do that. Wow. Well, and, and, you know, and carrots I try, but there's too much by I can see that they want to grow, but bugs gets to them. I have nothing left after a week. <laughs> Here it's yeah, left. every, uh, you know, one thing that uh, I guess the, one of the primary uses of my Telegram chat group for food is that you can take pictures of your bugs and say, oh, this is what I got. What is it? How do I deal with it? And then, you know, people come back and, and lots of people say things that I don't even know. So I've, I think I've learned more from, my members than they've learned from me because I'm just one gardener, but they're thousands. And so um, it's, it's a great place to post a picture and get some really great feedback. Right. And, and just so people, so people know that people are really friendly. I was looking for uh, goji that's growing in USA. It, it's, it's so hard. Like nobody sells it retail and, and there's only one farm that I found that's in the States. And the, I, when I post question, like I, you know, ask if anybody know any local farmers that would sell me some 
and everybody went out and people took their time. They went out and searched for me online and let me know. And, you know, it came, came up, you know, ended up with a really funny conversation with people being supportive. Oh yeah. So, that's good to hear. I, I, I get lots of stories like that. And that's the whole point. It's sometimes difficult on Telegram because it's sort of a war zone with the spam, but I try and keep the spam out and the friendly people in. And, and that's sort of the, the battle. I see, it's like I spend more time fighting spam than helping people sometimes, but the result is you get this environment where friendly people can sit there and talk like that. Right. So and, and the same thing on Jeff's in, in Jeff's community. So, you know, if you are scared of Linux, that's a good place to start. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, and you don't have to stay stay there. I mean, Linux information is everywhere. Just search, and you'll you'll find something most likely. Yeah, there's and, there's tons of videos out there. You can you can pretty much like for example, I primarily use Ubuntu. And any question I have, I just go to a search engine, go to YouTube or whatever, and type in Ubuntu, and then my question, and it usually comes up. And if if you don't know the right search term, sometimes uh, it helps to uh, ask a question. So Jeff's chat room is a great place to just to ask your question because yeah, you're probably going to get an answer. If you want to try, I, I do suggest to try to start with popular, more popular uh, stuff. And if you want to try to grow your own food, I, I suggest microgreen just so you have a little bit of confidence. <laughs> and, and I agree with that assessment. I, I do it myself for the same reason. And you, you'll, you'll get quick success and you'll start to, it starts to train your mind in succession planting where you say, okay, um, I'm going to need <clears throat> certain amount of microgreens for my salad next week. That means I have to plant it today. And so you're looking at a, at a 10 day plant to harvest and and that same that those same lessons apply to okay I'm going to plant in spring and harvest in fall, but it's it's a it's a different mindset than go to the grocery store and see what see whatever I like I'm just going to buy what I want when I get there and if if there's food goes rotten because I don't want to buy it I don't care I'm just going to buy what's there now and go home and it requires no planning no self responsibility and I just hope it's always going to be there you know. Yeah, and, and, and I'm lucky I'm in an area um, where there are lots of farmers and um, and our area has been supporting small farmers for a long time. And, and we belong to a, a co-op that, that sourced most of their stuff from local farmers. And we actually could go, some farmers are nearby, it's close enough that I actually would go and buy straight from them. Yeah, farmers markets are great. I'm sort of combining that. I have a channel on GMRS radio communications for developing local uh, community communications. And so I'm combining that with the farming aspect. So what I do is I go to the local farmers market and I give sort of an inventory report over the local radio network of what all the different vendors are selling. And it's a two-way radio communications. And so people can call me and ask me, hey, is there peaches there? Or what do the potatoes look like? And so it's it's really interesting. I'm trying to develop that further so we can get sort of a full farm and trade community that has uh, back channel communications using GMRS radio, which is very much like ham, but it's a little more simple. And um, so that's starting to grow within my local community. So that's working really well. And do you know, um, I'm guessing you are not yet a commercial farmer or you are? Well, uh, not really. I, I sell some things, you know, like after the pandemic sort of got going, I was selling a, a lot of laying hens. I would raise them to the point of five months and sell them. And, and sell them. So right now, uh, I wouldn't call myself a commercial farmer. It's pretty small scale. Uh, I sell some things. Um, I'm primarily focused on meeting all my own needs and then growing from there. I, I am working on a, a fairly large commercial scale greenhouse right now. It's about 3,000 square feet. So I'm not wow. sure when to get that done, but and and is there are there other are there other farms that's commercial around you or it's not really um, in my area. There's a lot of small farmers that then go sell their stuff at the farmers market, and that's great. And I think that's that's what we need to improve upon. Large commercial farms that do monocropping. I I don't think that's uh, that should be our primary source of food. That's just me, you know. Right. And yeah, but there, um, the reason why I asked is because I was looking for azuki beans, uh, Japanese red beans. And, and 
and organic ones. And I was, it took me some asking and I found out that uh, Idaho has them. And the other choice is Wisconsin. I don't know about Zuki beans specifically, but you know, a great place to check is go to Etsy.com. Etsy is, it's just lots of small individuals selling their own little things. And so you, you can get a lot of seeds there, really specialty ones that you can't find anywhere else. Yeah, I I did like I did like the one I found in Wisconsin. So, you know, in the video you posted yesterday, you know, just try to get it as close, like get it from you know, as local as you can. Yes. And yes. Azuki bean, you know, it's from somewhere else where the country I should not name. <laughs> yeah, and, and even if you get even if you can't find it and you have to get it from a source you don't really like, get it, grow them, and then produce your own seeds. And now you've got them from your own backyard, you know? Yeah, it's, azuki bean is hard because you eat a lot. Like, I'm not going to have enough land to do it, especially when there's no sun in my yard. <laughs> but I did, I so the point is, if you can't do it yourself, you can... And if you have the place, the right place, you can grow it. And if not, you still try. I mean, every time I rather, I almost rather give up than buying from non-U.S. grower. Yeah, I know that feeling. But you, uh, I don't know if you you know any, if you have any friends that are a little further out from the city that might have a little bit of land, but the odds are pretty good. You've got someone with land and and all, and you say, hey, just let me grow some beans here and you can have half of them, you know. <laughs> I have no friend. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. I can support the farmers. That's fine. As long as I can find some, you know, I, you know, when I was talking to them, it sounds like they're not a big farm either. They have all kinds of beings too. And, oh, okay. and they were so like I was talking to the lady of the farm and and she was so happy that I found them and and you know that's it it's it's great because that's one way for your for our farmer to know that we're here for them too yeah for sure so if if all you can do is buy from a farmer somewhere on this continent, then that's a great thing, you know? Yeah. It, try very, very hard. <laughs> so um, why it's, it's almost an hour. So um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we end this? Well, I, I have my, uh, right now I have three uh, telegram chat rooms. I have the food group and I have a GMRS radio communications group and I have a makers group for people who make things at home, but I am planning some expansion. So maybe, you know, uh, we can talk again like this and I can go over some of the other areas. So, you know, there's multiple areas where we need to become self-responsible. And so what I'm trying to do is develop out chat rooms that are organized sort of like a library so that, you know, rather than being every, everyone dumped into one chat group where there's just too many things flying around and too many people you got thousands of people in multiple topics if we can treat it more like a library and divide it into topics you know health food energy trade education technology media and i don't know that i'm going to do technology that's primarily i would go into uh, linux and open source and jeff's channels covering that pretty well so at this time i don't think i'm going to uh, go into that right away but um, the other areas I am planning expansions into that. So maybe in the future, if you're up for it, we can do this again and, and talk about some of those. Yeah. And, and with Linux, maybe to focus on how to use it on a farm. Um, for sure. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of areas of technology. Like it's one thing to install Linux and like get it running on your computer, but, but there's a whole nother field of activity and using it to automate some of your farming things because we can totally automate things, you know, just, just an automatic sprinkler system can can change your life just just that much automation can really help and if if my linux experience uh says anything you you actually have lots of fun doing it even though it's frustrating sometimes <laughs> when you're done you'll be so proud yeah, of yeah. 
it is fun. And if not, everybody has to be a Linux expert, you know, do what you love. If you, if you love making yeah. cucumbers, yeah. you can probably give cucumbers to your neighbor who loves Linux and let them handle your computers, you know? <laughs> yes. Good idea. So why don't we plan on um, next topic offline? And I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me. And I look forward to our next chat. Yes. Well, thanks for having me on. You've got a great uh, podcast started here. And as soon as you get this up, I'll, I'll post it on my main channel and we'll get the word out for you. Well, thank you. And uh, talk to you next time. Okay. This has been Green Fossible. Thank you for listening. Your host, I, signing off.